Welcome to episode 82 of the Zay Coleman Podcast, where today we'll be discussing the uh, latest NBA games uh, tonight. Of course, we're only going to talk three of them because there's only really three that truly matter tonight. The Dallas Mavericks um, coming back from um, Dallas Mavericks playing the, uh, the Sacramento Kings in a comeback. Hornets beating the San Antonio Spurs and the Lakers upsetting the Golden State Warriors, of course, here on the Zay Coleman Podcast. We're going to be discussing LeBron James' 56-point game, of course, and why I think this might low-key be a turnaround for the Lakers. All right, we're going to get straight into it because we there's a lot that happened. Now, granted, we're not going to be talking about Orlando and Memphis or Minnesota-Portland because I have I had literally zero interest in those games. I'm going to be honest with you. Dallas with a 23-point comeback against uh, the Sacramento Kings. First of all, De'Aaron Fox played his absolute heart out for four quarters, 40, 44 points, six assists on 18 of 31 shooting. De'Aaron Fox, this is a rare occasion where De'Aaron Fox legitimately could not miss. This was a situation where like De'Aaron Fox really looked like the guy the Kings want him to be. Not like he puts up okay numbers, okay, like for his standards, I should say, because even like average night for him is 22 points on a decent efficiency for a point guard. Obviously, that's great if they can get that uh, production out of him. Obviously, they want more. You would think they want more because obviously it's De'Aaron Fox. We hype him up to be, you know, a top 10 point guard, obviously deserves it as such, but he still absolutely, like I said, played his absolute heart out today and really deserved this win. Dallas brought it to literally the last second. Dorian Finney-Smith hitting a corner three-pointer as time expired. Not even that, but it was the go-ahead bucket. And you got to feel for Sacramento because, again, a team that started off really well. Like since the trade deadline, I should say. But ever since, like he, like they've dropped a couple games now, and again, you really got a feel for the fact that like this team has is so close every single time, and boom, like it. Now all of a sudden, Dorian Finney Smith hits the game winning three pointer. With like th- almost th- three, three or four seconds left, it might have been. So it wasn't a buzzer beater, but it was absolute. It was a game winning shot. But I also want to give the sh- a sh- really amazing shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie because again, again, a guy that has been through a lot in the last ten, two years, I should say, between him being essentially the second guy to D'Lo in Brooklyn to. The ACL tear where he didn't even think he was going to get a contract the following season in Brooklyn. Basically, one but uh Washington took a, a flyer on him. He was like they were basically the only team that could really pay him. Obviously, they kind of flunked out in Washington. Since he's been in Dallas, he's found his role. Basically, his role, what his role was in Brooklyn, which was the the second guard, but really the the first guy off the bench, but really this the second guard in the rotation, essentially. With Lucas sort of being his D'Angelo Russell, that kind of sounded weird, but you do get what I'm saying though. Is that that he legit does play that role and plays it to perfection, 
And tonight, he was basically the lead guard with Luka obviously being out, which kind of hurt me because Luka's on my fantasy team. But uh, Dinwiddie definitely absolutely made up more than made up for it with 36 and 7 on a really good efficiency, which you could not say about Spencer Dinwiddie for 90% of the season. But tonight has definitely been it wasn't a, a it was an efficiency night for Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, lead guards in a rotation. Jalen Brunson absolutely uh, played amazing to, uh, today, especially in the fourth quarter with uh, 23 points and six assists. Basically, was the him and Dinwiddie obviously were the two driving forces of the comeback, but it was truly a team effort. Dorian Finney-Smith gave a, a good contribution. Dwight Powell gave a good contribution. Reggie Bullock gave a good contribution. Like This was a legitimate six, seven, eight guys that gave great contributions and was the direct reason for them making the comeback. Starting out in the third quarter, but even like throughout the fourth quarter, gave great contribution too. I also want to give a shout out to uh to Josh Green who had a double double, uh off the bench. Like Dallas, Dallas has is a Dallas is a really weird team. Like a team that's like genuinely winning um, uh, games this year, basically playing the right way, surrounded with Luca, but also giving him the enough spacing to where it actually truly matters with the Reggie Bullock. With the Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson, guess to some extent Josh Green, even uh, Porzingis before he was traded, like they they surrounded him with great talent or a great great role players. Not I'm gonna say talent, but definitely gave him the guys who can play the leg- a legitimate role on a team led by Luka Doncic and them going far in the playoffs. Maybe not a championship team, but a team that could be a, a deep second round or a, maybe a fringe conference finals team at max, but obviously they can easily fuck out in the first round like they did, did the previous couple of years, although they aren't playing the Clippers, so who knows? Maybe this is the year that they get out the first round. I do also want to give uh, an- another uh, review, or sorry, review of the Spurs-Hornets game. Now, Terry Rozier is somebody who a lot of us, when he first went to Charlotte, thought it was sort of a one-hit wonder in Boston because, like I said, Kyrie went down. He took the the reins and he showed out. But like once the next season started, he was kind of meh. He was a pretty meh as the, the the bench point guard, basically because Marcus Smart had told uh, basically taken his role. But then once he went to Charlotte, he showed why people actually Loki saw Scary Terry as potentially a lead guard down the uh, future or down the line. And he's definitely showed that with uh, also obviously Lamelo Ball has a lot to do with it too, but really the Charlotte Hornets team, again, I will, I won't forgive this team for not going after a big man in the off season or not even, but even in the trade basically specifically Miles Turner, but I absolutely don't hate that, you know, this rotation minus Mason Plumley, which again Mason Plumley is not a bad player, he's just. He's not a fit on this team that, you know, is young and likes to run, can shoot, play defense, and all the, all the you know, the, all the, the all of that jazz. And Mason Plumlee does none of that. He's a rebounder and a screen roller with a, a, and a decent playmaker. I should say that. A decent playmaker out the post. But that's about it. He provides zero for what this team actually needs from the, from the center, which is basically what P.J. Washington, I guess, is supposed to be. But P.J. Washington is also like 6'7", so it's not really going to work. Montrez Harrell is the same way. He's basically the energy guy, but is also like 6'7". You're not going to trust him guarding Joel Embiid if they were to be matched up with Philadelphia in the playoffs. 
Also, somebody else I want to give a shout-out to on this team, Kelly Oubre, who was absolutely hooped off the bench for the Charlotte Hornets. He did get some starting minutes once. I think it was, uh, Rozier was out for a little bit in the same time frame as like Gordon Hayward being out. So he did start some games, but for the most part has been a bench guy. And he's absolutely hooped this year, averaging about – he's averaging about, what, 16. And is given, like I said, been a, a, a solid contributor would a year or two maybe remove remove from the Golden State situation where he was a zero when it terms when it when it comes to being a fit on the team. Basically, him and Wiggins was not a, a, a wing duel that you really could coexist with because it's got a high shot at the, at least at the time high shot um high shot uh, tendencies with you know no little to no defense. But Kelly, uh, you can give Kelly Olynyk guys that could play defense, like a Cody Martin, like a um a Terry Rozier, like a Miles um, Bridges, not consistently, but he does. The, the the team isn't a good defensive team. Let's be honest here. But offensively, they're one of the better teams in the league, and it's because that they can they can have guys like Terry Rozier, Lamelo Ball, Kelly Olu, uh, Kelly Oubre, um Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, guys like that can all go off to, at the same time. And then boom, you end up with 123 against a, a pretty, pretty gritty team, the San Antonio Spurs. And now speaking of the San Antonio Spurs, this has been the blueprint of every Spurs game so far. Kilda Johnson and DeJounte Murray absolutely go crazy. Spurs lose a close game. It's kind of getting repetitive, I'm not gonna lie. And it's kind of frustrating because you see talent like the Devin Vassell on the team. Who does play well? I'm not going to discredit Devin Vassell whatsoever because he's absolutely absolutely been great as a second-year guy on this team. But, like, Josh Primo, I'm still not a fan of the pick. Again, I'm, I understand he's only, what, 18, 19 years old. Like, I'm not I'm not calling him a bust. I'm not saying he's underperforming. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just simply as me being a basketball fan, me wanting to see the Spurs go back to the winning ways under Greg Popovich, I just didn't like the Josh Primo pick. But, again, I'm not the team. I'm not the guy running the show. Zach Collins, I feel like is low key a zero on this team. Let's be honest, because he doesn't. Again, similar to what I said about uh, Miles Plum or Mason Plumley, sorry, on the Hornets, he provides little to nothing that they need, which is a big man that can protect the rim. I understand Yaka Purtle is like that, but you can absolutely use one off the bench as well. A big man that can protect the rim and can somewhat shoot the basketball. Again, the Spurs are not a team that's, you know, they're trying to build a three-point. They're not trying to be Golden State of 2015. They're this, like, a lineup with Devin Vassell and DeJounte Murray. And Keldon Johnson, he's shot the ball really well this year. I'm not even going to lie. With, uh, Yaka Pertle against Zach Collins, Kedabase Diop. This isn't a team that's built around shooting. Like, Lonnie Walker can shoot, but isn't a shooter. Same with Josh Primo. The guy, if, if anything, he can get his shot. He can he can shoot the basketball. And he, like I said, has a little bit of a handle, but, again, it's not really going to be a, a crazy handler playing with Trey Jones, DeJounte Murray, Kelton Johnson, and so on and so forth. Doug McDermott is obviously made his name as a shooter, but, like, this isn't a team that is built to as a – this is basically a team that's built on grit and grind, not literally to the T of the Memphis Grizzlies, but it's still a team that, for the most part, is we're going to try and win with defense rather than win with skill, like offensive skill. And 
this season, you can argue it really has not worked out because 24 and 40 does not necessarily screen playoff or play in team. But we're looking at the Lakers right now. And speaking of the Lakers, Lakers upset the Golden State Warriors. That is a sentence I did not expect to say four hours ago. It's not a sentence that I want to think about four hours from now. But the Los Angeles Lakers actually beat the Golden State Warriors. And LeBron James literally had to drop 56 points for the Lakers to win this game. LeBron dropped 47. This team loses. That's that's where we're at. But I will say, I will give the old man old men credit. Carmelo Anthony absolutely played his butt off in the last two minutes of this game. Or really, it was like the last three-ish minutes of this game. First had the and one off the offensive rebound, the putback and one. Then with a good so with 30 seconds left, he had the three in the corner off of a, a LeBron James pass you saw coming five miles away. Hits Carmelo Anthony in the corner for the dagger three. Uh, somebody I absolutely want to give credit to because again he's not going to sh- his numbers ain't going to show it, but his defense absolutely showed it. Austin Reeves, man, is pretty awesome to watch. And it's not again it's like ten points of five minute rebounds. He's not in thirty four minutes. It's not going to wow the stat heads, but him getting a steal on Steph Steph Curry in an ISO situation. Him getting the offense, two offensive rebounds at the end. That one, I believe, set up a Malik Monk three pointer. In a, in a, no, one of them was the offensive rebound ended up setting LeBron, I believe, setting LeBron to Melo in the corner. But I think the other one ended up setting up Russell Westbrook, uh, finding Malik Monk for the open three. So basically, two Austin Reeves offensive rebounds led to six points <laughs> for the Lakers. And without those six points, plus a, maybe, I don't know, a play or two being run by the Warriors, and not just Steph Curry jacking up a three-pointer, the Warriors probably win this game, being honest with you. Austin Reeves offensive rebounds and one boneheaded Steph Curry shot, or even, a, I guess, even a, a boneheaded Jordan Poole shot. Like, that's the difference between the Lakers rolling out here with a, a statement win and the Warriors running out of uh, running out of here with a W in the crypto.com arena. That's legit. Austin, like I said, LeBron had 56. Malik Monk had uh, a three down the stretch that was absolutely dagger. And he looked happy as everything shooting that shot. Russell Westbrook has some pre- uh, pretty timely passes and a, a decent 20 points. Melo had a, a great showing in the final two minutes, but those offensive rebounds, plus, you know, again, a boneheaded, a obviously boneheaded Steph Curry three-pointer, and we're looking at a completely different outcome of this game. Not saying that the Lakers didn't deserve it, because the Lakers absolutely fought and won this game legitimately. This is the probably the best Los Angeles Lakers game this season. Yes, I know it took them 63-ish games, but they finally got a, a really state, a real statement win out there this year. Good for them. But, but like I said, this ends up being very caught uh, very differently with just two really solid plays 
from the Warriors. Really just getting all just getting rebounds. I'm telling you, literally, that's all you needed. <sighs> I'm gonna be honest with you though. At the end of the game, they really did try to get the Warriors that win. I'm not gonna lie. That Carmelo Anthony foul with uh I think it was like Wiggins, I think it, it looked in real time like Wiggins tried to intentionally foul Melo. But Melo ends up unhooking his like hooking Wiggins' arm and then like flinging it. And then they called the offensive foul. But realistically, you could have called the foul on Wiggins first. But and there was another one with like Russell Westbrook, like he lost the handle of the basketball and then like he dove on the it was a weird call. It was like he dove on the ground, but like he was sort of trying to brace himself, but also reach out for the ball. So he made con- I don't think he pushed Jordan Poole, but he did make contact with Jordan Poole's leg. And like the ref called the foul on that. I and mean, the fact that they didn't even go to the review uh system for that, which was hilarious, by the way, in real time. I believe it was Mike Breen or was it maybe it was Mark Jack. I don't remember one of the commentators, I don't remember who it was, said that the fact that they didn't go to the uh to the review monitor says a lot about how, how the rest feel about that call, which was hilarious, by the way. Like again, if it's like again, I think at the time it was like a two point game anyway. It was like 113, 111 or something. Something ridiculous like that. Or maybe it was like 114, 113. I don't I don't remember the exact score of the game. But like when you when you don't make a call like that, it really shows that like dang, what if the Lakers end up losing this game? The Lakers aren't gonna they're not gonna be talking about oh the Lakers lost again, they should trade Russell Westbrook in off season off season whatever. They're gonna be talking about man, the referees really blew this game for the Lakers. Because if the ref doesn't make a, a boneheaded call on Russell Westbrook and an extremely boneheaded call on Carmelo Anthony. And the Warriors end up winning this game by, I don't know, two points. Boom. The Lakers don't need an offensive, uh, two offensive rebounds from Austin Reeves or a steal from Austin Reeves or even Stanley Johnson coming in and playing crazy or Carmelo Anthony hitting a three plus an in an, an one dunk or in one layup. Russell Westbrook having an IQ. Like they don't, they don't need all of that. If you, you know, you don't have to have the boneheaded calls to begin with. But it was a convoluted win, but a win or a convoluted way to get to the end. But the Lakers absolutely had a hard fought win and played like a real team out there. Again, not everything was perfect. Like Stanley Johnson, Stanley Johnson is great. Obviously, he plays his role to a T, and we love him for it. D, uh, D, DJ Augustine uh, definitely working his way into the Lakers rotation after. To be honest, I didn't even know he was waived by Houston. I was still low-key trash and thinking he was uh, the starting point guard for the Rockets all of a sudden. But uh, <laughs> shout-out to him uh, getting signed to the Lakers. Um, I will say low-key did not think that uh, Taylor, Horton Tuck- Taylor Horton Tucker is still a weird case to me because I don't know why this man got the contract he did. But I think low-key, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a clutch client, which might be the exact reason he got that client, uh, contract. But that's neither here nor there. Every Bradley uh, – Again, every Bradley might low-key need to call it because he he just looks awful. And this was coming from somebody that was absolutely hyping the fact that he signed a training camp deal with the Warriors in the offseason and was low-key laughing at the memes of him uh, saying, nah, I'm good with joining the Lakers. And then he ends up joining the Lakers. I've, I've, I like Stuff like that is funny, but like him being old and – I mean, he, honestly, not even that old. He's like what, thirty. He's thirty-one. He plays like he's forty-one though, which is the sad part. 
because Avery Bradley's awesome and I loved him in Boston, but it just does not look the same. It's not the same guy. And which I get unfortunate because he was like people remember IT dropping 30 that year, but Isaiah Tom or Avery Bradley had a cool like 16 points a game that year too. Like he was one of those main guys when with Isaiah Thomas, obviously, that made Boston the team that they were at at that time. And like it's just it's sad. It's weird to think about it now. That was only like what four or five years ago. Six. Like about five. It was what twenty seventeen. So yeah, about five years ago. Avery Bradley was given even even in Detroit wasn't horrible. Like I like granted, he was sort of filler in the Blake Griffin deal, but Still solid, nonetheless. Played okay for the Clippers. I'm trying to remember and what Memphis. Memphis, I don't remember that run. To be honest with you, uh, Miami was sort of a missed opportunity, and then now with the Lakers, is like it's 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 an atrocity. He's like he's like one of the main people that gets brought up when the uh, oh I feel bad for LeBron. He's got such a bum team around him. He's one of the main guys that they bring up. He does have a, a good game every now and then, but for the most part. Avery Bradley's kind of like one of these scapegoats. It's like he's like the guy that they look to, and like when people feel bad for the, uh, the guys that's around LeBron, it's him and Ken Bazemore. That's what that's basically what the people, uh, what uh, fans talk about when they talk about how, uh, pe- uh, how they feel bad about Bron. Which again is sad because Avery Bradley's awesome. He's a good person. He's a great. He was a great player at one point, but now it's just it it it's frustrating. Hate to end the podcast off like that, but but like I said, it's midnight and I got another podcast to record anyway. Um, if you missed the previous eighty-one episodes of the podcast, we do have this Mamba episodes. Uh, if you missed the previous eighty-one episodes of the podcast, of course you can check them out on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and right here on Anchor. Until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. Goodbye.